Judges chapter 16 is where we are tonight. Why don't we read our text and then we'll pray and we'll dive right in. Judges chapter 16 beginning in verse 4. And the title of my message tonight is Crossing the Line. Crossing the Line. Sounds like a Johnny Cash song, doesn't it? Crossing the Line. Judges chapter 16 beginning in verse 4. Afterward... It happened that he, that is Samson, loved a woman in the valley of Zorak, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means he may be that we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom, so she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. And he told her that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I'm shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, She sinned and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. 
Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Father, we stand in awe of this story and of this mighty man named Samson. The exploits that he accomplished, the things that he did for you, the victories that he won, we marvel, Lord, at his strength and how the Spirit of God was upon him. And yet he made some mistakes. He crossed a line and it led to his downfall. And Lord, I pray that as we study his life tonight, I pray that we can learn from it and glean from it and understand the mistakes he made so that we won't follow in his footsteps. Lord, we love you. Lord, we want to be useful to you. We thank you, Lord, for the wonderful grace and mercy you've poured out upon us, Lord. And we want our lives to count for you. We want to win victories for you against our enemies. And so, Lord, pour out your spirit upon us. Give us wisdom and understanding and a godly fear tonight. Speak to us, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The California Redwoods are one of the wonders of nature. These colossal trees are skyscrapers. Their girth is gigantic. They're the kings of the forest. But nothing is as impressive as the falling of one of these redwoods. The cutters score the tree around the trunk. As they move the saw back and forth, back and forth, the cut deepens. Soon, what was just a break in the bark becomes a gaping wound. The tree bends. It leans further and further from the cutters. Before long, you hear the cracking of wood fibers. With each slice of the saw, the noise builds and it builds. It swells to a roar and the tree begins to fall. If you're standing underneath the redwood when it starts to drop, you get the impression that the sky is falling. A huge mass of branches and limbs start to move and crackle. Finally, the tree explodes along the cut line. The redwood crashes to the forest floor with a thunderous thud. Folks who've seen the falling of a redwood say that it is an experience that you never forget. Well, tonight, I need to yell, Timber! For we are going to talk about the falling of a redwood. Not the falling of a tree, but the fall of a giant of a man. Samson was huge, not necessarily in physical stature, but in privilege 
and in power and in effectiveness. Samson was a Nazarite. That means he was a man dedicated to God. He came from a godly home, served in a vital post, was feared by his enemies, and was used by God in supernatural ways. Samson was God's strongman. He was a divine vigilante. He was a one-man Philistine wrecking crew. Samson was a redwood. And yet Samson fell. An outcome that proves the old adage, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. That was never truer than with this man Samson. Tonight, we're going to watch the saw slice back and forth across the core of this man. It begins with a small line scored around his heart. We'll watch that line deepen and deepen and become a gaping hole. Samson begins to lean. He starts to crackle. Finally, he explodes. And Samson topples to the ground with an incredible thud. Look on the forest floor of history. And you'll notice that many a giant redwood has fallen. Samson is not the last man to rise to spiritual heights, become mighty for God, and then come crashing to the ground. Especially in our day, it seems all too often this is a common occurrence. Church leaders we trusted, men who stood for God, one day we see their name on the internet, a scandal. The church takes a black eye. We've all met a Samson, a person who had it all, a beautiful wife, a good job, healthy kids, a nice house out in the burbs, a cool car, maybe even a role in his church. Then one day, the crash, morally and spiritually. A secret, sinister side gets exposed. A reputation is destroyed. A name gets muddied, a family gets crushed, Hearts are wounded, and an already jaded and cynical society becomes even more disillusioned. If you've ever seen a redwood, you realize how majestic these kings of the forest truly are. They're inspiring. And when one falls, it causes a certain sadness. The same is true of a man, once used by God, who falls. To understand the fall of Samson, four aspects of his life need to be examined. And if you're taking notes, you need to jot these down. And you should be taking notes, by the way. You know that thing. Four aspects of his life need to be examined. His vow, his vice, his valley, and his victory. They all begin with V, by the way. You, you get that? Let me give them to you again. His vow. I know this is a men's retreat. That's why I'm slowing down. Where you can. His vow. His vice. His valley. And his victory. See, Samson is a lesson for you and me. God wants to use us in broad and deep and wonderful ways. But if we stray too far, if our hearts wander, God will put us on the shelf just like he did Samson. We'll be disqualified. Well, first, to understand Samson, you have to understand his vow. Samson was a Nazarite. The Hebrew word nazir 
means to set aside for God or to dedicate to God. Number six describes the special act of devotion to God that we call the Nazarite. The Nazarite took a vow that was threefold. First, he was prohibited to eat or drink from the fruit of the vine. Second, no razor was to ever come upon his head or to cut his hair. And third, he was not to touch anything that was dead. Thus, you would never find a Nazarite in a liquor store or in a barber shop or in a funeral parlor. And yet, these places, three places get heavy traffic today, don't you? Go by any new strip mall and you'll find a liquor store and a barber shop. Funeral homes are everywhere too. People are just dying to get in those places. <laughs> Folks want a nip and a clip and a rip. They want to rest in peace and leave this world with no regrets. But God instituted the vow of the Nazarite to make a statement that life is more than a nip or a clip or a rip. A Nazarite was the opposite of what the world values. See, the world is all about physical pleasure and outward beauty and temporal earthly greatness. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it warns us, do not love the world or the things in the world. The world around us has a value system that runs counter to the priorities that God would have us live by. This is why John tells us, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And here's what he means by the word world. For all that is in the world, John says, the lust of the flesh, that's mere physical pleasure, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, that's outward beauty, sheer outward beauty. And the pride of life, that's temporary greatness. Here's another way to look at it. The world is all about feeling great and looking great and being great. But the Nazarite lived an opposite kind of lifestyle that reminded us that real life is lived on a spiritual, not a physical plane. True fulfillment is found above and beyond, not in the realm immediately around us. See, real joy isn't produced by distilled spirits, but by the Holy Spirit. Real beauty isn't created inside a barber shop. It's found inside a person's heart. And every mortuary proves that real meaning isn't found in this life, in earthly ambitions. There is a life to come that counts for far more. True soul satisfaction comes from pursuing eternal pursuits. Understand from the outset, Samson's superhuman strength was related to his vow to God, not just his long hair. His hair was part of his vow. If it were long locks that produced the supernatural strength, then every heavy metal rock star would lay down his guitar and play in the NFL. Samson's nappy hair was just a symbol. Samson's strength was due to his commitment to God and that God had made a commitment to him. When the Philistine army had Samson surrounded, we read, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. It was God Almighty who empowered Samson. In fact, I believe the usual drawings and paintings that you see of Samson get it all wrong. 
He's always depicted as a Hebrew bodybuilder, a muscular brute, a Jew on steroids. But if that was the case, why did the Philistines have to bribe Delilah to learn the secret of his strength? If Samson had these bulging biceps and enormous pecs and his big barreled chest, they'd know the secret of his strength. Just keep him out of the weight room. Stop his protein shakes. I believe if Samson were wearing a tank top, you wouldn't see a ripple in his shirt. He was just an ordinary, run-of-the-mill kind of guy with an average physique. In fact, when we get to heaven, Samson may be the little guy, the run of the litter, the 98-pound weakling sitting over in the corner. But oh, the punch he packed when the Spirit of God come upon. Just ask the thousand Philistines Samson slaughtered with nothing but a donkey's jawbone. Samson made a vow, but he also had a vice. Flip back to Judges chapter 14, verse 2. Judges 14, verse 2. And there you'll notice the very first recorded words that come out of Samson's mouth. He says, I have seen a woman. <laughs> this was Samson's problem in a nutshell. He may or may not have been an exerciser, but Samson was definitely a womanizer. He liked to chase the skirts. Samson had an eye for the ladies. You could say a thousand Philistines. He could slay a thousand Philistines, but he couldn't slay his own libido. Samson was a he-man with a she problem. Let me say, despite what our culture tells us, life is more than sex. Sure, sex is pleasurable, but the pleasure is physical and it's fleeting. Whereas every human's deepest needs are spiritual and eternal. Certainly God created us with desires, but God expects men to channel their sexual desires into love for a wife. This is what steadies us and matures us as men. Pursue sex apart from the responsibilities and commitment of a wife, and it enslaves us and it ruins us. Men, we need to surrender our sexual needs to God. The Lord expects us to give him control of every area of our lives, including that rocket in your pocket. God will meet your needs in due time. In the meantime, he has a work to do in you. So often sex is a way to escape and mask over our emptiness. Instead, God wants to fill the hole in our hearts from the inside out with his fullness and his satisfaction. Remember, a physical pleasure will never satisfy a spiritual need. The key to real, lasting, permanent fulfillment is not physical contact with another person, but a spiritual connection with the God who made us. The Illinois Department of Natural Resources reports that 17,000 deer are struck by motorists each year on state roads. And the peak season for roadkill is late November. Do you know why? That's the season when the bucks like to mate. The state wildlife director states, the deer are concentrating almost exclusively on reproductive activities and are a lot less wary than they normally would be. 
And this can also turn a man into roadkill. A man gets a little frisky. He wants to escape the pressures of life. He's looking for a little diversion, so he logs onto the internet. Or he slips into a strip club. Or eventually a woman at work shows him a little attention that he's been looking for. It happens so easily. It starts out so innocently. Author Florence Latour, she writes this. No good Christian man or woman gets up in the morning, looks out the window and says, My, this is a lovely day. I guess I'll go out and commit adultery. Yet many do it anyway. Reminds me of the two monks standing by the river. This gorgeous young woman, she approaches them and she explains that she needs to cross a stream. One of the monks, he picks her up, lays her over his shoulder, carries her across the water and sits her down on the other bank. She appreciates his kindness, but his friend, the fellow monk, is appalled. In fact, later his friend rebukes him. He says, as monks, we've taken a vow to never look at a woman, let alone touch her body. At the river today, you did both. The first monk said, my brother, I put that woman down on the other side of the river. You're still carrying her in your mind. And this was Samson's problem. He had a lust for women. And it got him into trouble. On several occasions, it caused him to break his strategic vow. In chapter 14, Samson goes to see the woman in Timnah. We're told in verse 5, he came to the vineyards of Timnah. Hey, Samson, you're a Nazarite. You're supposed to stay away from the grapevines. Don't go there. Here's Samson's sins. Notice again verse 9. On another trip to Timnah, he finds honey in the carcass of a lion. And he reaches down and he grabs him a little snack. But Samson, what about your vow? The third part of his vow was not to touch anything that was dead. You see, long before his infamous haircut, Samson had broken the other elements of his vow. Like the deer in Illinois, he spent too much time fixated on his lust for the opposite sex. So much so that he ignored the commitments that he had made to God. Samson poses a strange dilemma. In chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, he leaves the house of a hooker. He pulls up the gates of the city and he bulldozes over the enemy. This is such a quandary to me. Think about this. He spends the night in sin, yet the power of God comes upon him. Samson was familiar with God's power, but he was a stranger to God's purity. How can a man be used so powerfully by God and be so nonchalant about obedience to God? You see, there's only one answer here, and that it's God's mercy. It's God's mercy. This is an amazing truth. I hope you've learned it by now. God doesn't wait until we're sinless or flawless before he uses us. God employs imperfect people. He supplies us with on-the-job training. He fixes us on the fly. The Holy Spirit works in us and on us and through us all at the same time. And this is good news. But don't draw the wrong assumptions. For just because God continues to use you doesn't mean He is approving of everything you do. This is where we pastors can get deceived. 
Since people still respond to our sermons, we assume our compromises are no big deal to God. That's not true. In the story of Samson, God is extremely concerned with Samson's sin. And eventually, there comes a time when enough is enough. Samson will cross a line. One day, God's strong man will go too far. And the power he has come to expect and believes will always be there will suddenly be gone. See, Samson's life teaches us that there is a definite point. There is a line that you don't want to cross. Cross that line and God pronounces disqualified. He withdraws his blessing. He stops using us and he puts us on the shelf. Jesus, the giver of the great commission, can put you out of commission if you cross a certain line. And here's the added problem. You don't really know where God draws that line until it's been crossed. Let me say that again. You don't really know where God has drawn that line until it's been crossed. It's a pathetic scene. Samson jumps up off Delilah's lap, finds himself tied with ropes. He flexes, expecting the bands to pop as they always have. And nothing, nothing happens this time. The ropes don't break. This time the Spirit of God does not come mightily upon him. I come from Stone Mountain, Georgia. And if you don't know, there really is a stone mountain. There really is. It's a giant rock. It's the largest exposed piece of granite. It protrudes out of the ground. Stone Mountain is the world's largest piece of granite, rising 865 feet above its surroundings. One side of the mountain is a sheer face. And if you're on the top and if you're walking toward that slope, the mountain gets steeper and steeper until it suddenly plunges. Every few years, somebody falls off the mountain. Multiple signs are posted but hikers tend to ignore them. There's a four-foot fence, but it's easy to climb over. Even for skilled hikers, the curvature of the rock is so deceptive. It's steeper than it seems. And if you start to slide, there are no trees, there are no shrubs to grab hold of to break your fall. After a recent case of a grad student who fell 600 feet to her death, the park safety chief commented, we catch them daily over the fence, and sadly, this proves how dangerous it is to cross that fence. And Samson proves how lethal it is to cross the line that God draws. For like hikers on Stone Mountain, when you realize you've gone too far, often it's too late to stop. You don't know when you've crossed that line until you've crossed it. Here's a critical truth we all need to realize. God used Samson to do mighty exploits, but the real mission in this man's life was first and foremost to be a Nazarite, to model virtue. And the same is true for us. It's not so much what we do as much as it is what we be that matters to God. Your accomplishments are His business. He works through you. He wants you to be attentive to your character. And this is what Samson ignored. 
And his oversight brought him down. He got so caught up in what God empowered him to do that he neglected what God had enlisted him to be. A dangerous dichotomy developed in Samson's life. What about you? Is there a contradiction between who you are and what you do? Oh, I go to church. I, I sing praises to God. I even teach a Sunday school class. Man, I'm an usher at Calvary Chapel, Miami. Outwardly, Samson too served the Lord, but inwardly, a sinister lust lurked in the recesses of his heart, and he allowed it to linger and grow and eventually blossom. Rather than pluck it out and cast it off and cut it away, he never made an effort to deal with his sin. And it cost him big time. Comedian Jack Hanley, he's famous for his tongue-in-cheek humor. He writes this, There used to be this bully who demanded my lunch money every day. I was smaller, so I gave it to him. Then I decided to fight back. I started taking karate lessons. But then the karate lesson guy said I had to start paying him $5 a lesson. So I just went back to paying the bully. <laughs> but that's what a lot of men do. Rather than fight this battle with sin, they just give in to being bullied. Hey, to deal with the lust, you have to repent and change the lifestyle that supports that lust. Then you trust God to replace your lust with His love. You repent and believe. But this requires humility and this requires willingness. It's a lot easier just to put, pay the bully and give in to the sin. See, this was Samson. He ignored his problem. He never dealt with his lust. And as a result, it festered and it grew and it took a tighter and tighter hold on his life. It reminds me of the two hillbilly boys. They chased this bobcat up a tree one night. One of the boys had a canvas bag. He shouted to his partner. He says, I'll shimmy up that tree and chase him down. Then you grab that varmint and stick him in that bag. Well, the boy climbed the tree and he started shaking the limb. It didn't take long for the cat to fall. His buddy grabbed the bobcat and tried stuffing him in the sack. There was lots of screeching and screaming. Hair and fur and skin and blood were flying in all directions. The boy up in the tree shouted. He said, what's the matter? Need some help catching a little old bobcat? His partner replied, No, don't need no help of catching him. Just need a little help turning him loose. And that's what happens when we toy with sin. When we tolerate a lust. The lust grows stronger and it takes a tighter hold. It latches on and it doesn't let go. And the longer we let it linger, the harder it is to turn loose of. Ever licked a frozen popsicle? Keep it on your tongue for too long and what happens? Your skin tears when you pull it off. This is why a lust is called a vice because it takes on a vice grip. A deadly vice grip. Well, Samson, he had a vice. And it led him to a valley. Judges 16 verse 4 tells us that Delilah's house 
was in the valley of Zorik. But the valley I'm referring to is a spiritual place. When Samson moves in and shacks up with Delilah, he reaches a low point morally and spiritually. He's getting closer and closer to crossing God's line, his line of no return. And he doesn't even realize it. He sins so often that he's no longer conscious of his sin. Notice Samson's attitude in chapter 16. It's so cavalier, so nonchalant. He's even cocky. He acts as if he's immune to mistakes. He's forgotten that his power is a gift. He's acting as if his power, the power he exudes, belongs to him and not God. That he can turn it on and off at will. When Delilah asks, tell me where your great strength lies, Samson just plays with her. It's a game to him. He poses these silly little scenarios and then laughs it off when God's power comes upon him and he routs the Philistines. After the second time, man, you'd think Samson would know Delilah's intentions are to destroy him. In fact, she says as much. I think he honestly thought that he was invincible. Samson had convinced himself that he was immune to the forces that destroy other men. He was smarter. He was more anointed. He felt he was a special case. Samson lived his life and conducted his ministry as if God had given him a free pass to do as he pleased. Beware, friends. When you start to think that the rules apply that apply to other men don't apply to you, beware. You are not the exception. Eventually, when you cross that line, it'll be deadly for you. The third time Delilah questions him, Samson comes perilously close to spilling the beans on his strength. Notice what he answers in verse 13. If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of a loom. I'm shocked Samson even mentions his locks. Now he's skating on thin ice. He's close to the edge of that cliff. Samson, why do you even mention your hair? Once it was a rich man... He wanted to hire a chauffeur, so he ran an ad in the newspaper. Three applicants responded. As he interviewed the first applicant, he pointed out to the low rock wall that lined the driveway of his mansion. The rich man, he asked the prospective chauffeur, he said, how close to that wall can you drive my limo without scratching the paint? Well, this applicant was pretty cocky. He says, you know. I can get six inches to that wall without scratching the paint on your limo. Well, during his interview with the second candidate, the rich man pointed to the same rock wall. And he asked him the same question. How close to that rock wall can you drive my limousine without scratching the paint job? This prospective chauffeur, he bettered the competition. He said, man, he said, I can get within three inches of that rock wall. No problem. Well, finally, the last of the candidates was asked the exact same question. Hey, how close can you drive the limo to that rock wall without scratching the paint? The man shook his head and he said, Sir, if I'm driving your limo, I'm going to stay as far away from that rock wall as I possibly can. Needless to say, the last chauffeur got the job. Samson wanted to drive as close to the edge as possible. He wanted to enjoy his sin and its pleasures right up to the point of losing God's blessing. 
But you see, you never know where that point is. You never know where God has drawn the line. That's why it's wiser to stay as far away from the wall as possible. Don't even toy with sin. Choose the deep down fulfillment of an eternal relationship with God over the passing and superficial pleasures of sin. Sadly, in verse 15, Samson finally crosses the line. And notice the line that Delilah uses to get him to cross the line. She says, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? What an infamous line. That line has gotten more people in trouble than any other. If you really love me, you would. That's such a stupid line. If a woman loves a man or if a man loves a woman, they aren't going to ask each other to break their vow to God. They're going to support each other's purity. Real love doesn't use another person for a moment of selfish gratification then toss them aside. True love respects the other person. It values their future and especially their relationship with God. Delilah asks him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? And here's the line that Samson is about to cross. Where is his heart? Where is his heart? Could I ask you that question? Where is your heart tonight? See, up until now, Samson's heart has belonged to God. Oh, yes, he's yielded to weakness. He's been guilty of compromise. He's neglected repentance. But despite it all, God was still willing to acknowledge his flickering faith. His heart was muddied, but it was still Godward. Samson had broken two of the three vows of a Nazarite, but at least he had kept the second part of his vow intact. No razor had ever touched his head. That's why Samson's hair was so vital. It was the last remnant of this man's commitment to God. It's the last thread holding Samson up, keeping him from crossing the line. His hair was the last straw in a weak faith. Will his heart hold? Will his love last? Will his passion for God endure? We're told in verse 16, Delilah pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. See, when you tolerate a sin in your life, that sin can become relentless. She wouldn't let it lie. She kept bringing it up, kept nagging him, kept pressing him. What's the secret, Sammy? Samson could have packed up and left for Israel. He didn't have to take that. After all, he and Delilah were just shacking up. There's no marriage here. There's no kids involved. Samson has no obligations. He could just end it and go back home. But he doesn't doesn't want to end it. And why? Because his heart is now in the valley. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, what started out a tease for Samson has now become his treasure. Samson has crossed the line. When he tells Delilah about his hair, Samson makes the decision that his lust for this woman is stronger than his love for God. 
He never says it, probably didn't think it, might have denied it if you'd mentioned it to him. But in his heart now, he's decided that he'd rather have Delilah than God's power. And ironically, he gets neither. The Spirit of God leaves him, and so does Delilah. Samson might have loved Delilah, but in the end, she sure didn't love him. She took the money and ran. After his Philistine haircut, Samson's enemies shackle him, and they take the once mighty man to prison. The redwood has fallen. As you might guess, living in Atlanta, I'm a big Braves fan. Oh, by the way, who won that series last year between the Braves and the Marlins? Can you remember? I think. Back in the 90s, that was our glory years. And back in the 90s, we had a redneck reliever. He was the infamous John Rocker. Anybody remember John Rocker? Yeah, yeah. Once Rocker did this interview where he trashed New York City. He just trashed New York City and everybody who lived in New York City. Well, the first time the Braves went back to Shea Stadium to play the Mets after his interview, Rocker was treated brutally, man, mercilessly. It probably was deserved. But the fans yelled obscenities at him, threw batteries at him while he warmed up in the bullpen. And that's what I always picture in my mind when I imagine the kind of reception that Samson got from the Philistines. These people hated Samson's guts. He'd been their arch nemesis for years. Samson had slaughtered hundreds of their friends and their relatives. Now it's time for a little retaliation. And guess what form of torture is chosen? Believe it or not, they take a hot iron and they poke out his eyes. How ironic. All his life, Samson has suffered from wandering eyes. He's looked on and he's lusted after women. And because he never dealt with his problem, God now deals with it for him. He loses his eyes. Samson becomes blind so that he can truly see. The Philistines, they keep him in chains. And they make him grind grain in the prison like an ox or a mule. On special occasions, they bring Samson into their temple to mock him and make fun of this once mighty man of God. But verse 22 shines a ray of hope into Samson's hopeless situation. We're told, however, the hair of his head began to grow again. To me, that is one of the most encouraging verses in all the scripture. It's a hint. God isn't through with his strong man. His hair begins to grow again. Samson has slid so far. He's been disqualified from ministry. For even life in Israel among God's people. Like the removal of a redwood, great has been his fall. He has hit the forest floor with a thunderous thud. Yet his hair begins to grow. In other words, even after a disqualification, it's never too late to re-up one more time. God does give second chances. He still loves Samson. And he wants to work one more victory through him. God is even willing to go back to the shelf to fetch a broken vessel 
if he can use him to bring glory to himself. It's obvious from Samson's final prayer that he no longer cares about his own selfish desires. His lust no longer controls him. A change has occurred. Broken, now humble, he sees that God is all that really matters in life. The Philistines have chained Samson between the two pillars that support their temple. He's on show. He's been the object of insult and injury. But he prays a prayer of desperation in chapter 16, verse 28. He says, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And God answers Samson's prayer. The Spirit of God does come upon him. He pushes over the two support pillars and the temple topples, killing thousands of Philistines in the process. You might say, in Samson's final, sorry, in Samson's final performance, he brings down the house. Literally. Verse 30 provides the casualty report. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Notice that. His greatest victory came through his defeat and death. And this is the means by which God works victories in the lives of his people today. We find his power by dying to ourselves, to our lust, to our pride, to our selfishness. Jesus, not you, is what really matters. Romans 12 verse 1 calls us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice like Samson, but a living sacrifice. Friends, God still has a purpose for you. If you've crossed the line, then please, tonight, cross back over. Come back to God. He still has a purpose for you. Jesus died on a Roman cross so that you could cross back. His forgiveness and His freedom are for you today. Maybe you find yourself in circumstances tonight that make you feel like a Philistine prisoner grinding out the grain. You're a mockery of the man you used to be. Well, take heart. God isn't through with you. His Spirit isn't ashamed to come upon you one more time. He'll use you again. But you need to come back. You need to get away from the slippery slope. You need to turn back to God tonight. And if this message has reached a Samson in the nick of time, you've been taking shortcuts. You've been toying with that temptation. You've been harboring that lust in your heart. You've been stumbling ever so close Closer and closer and closer to that line of no return. And nobody knows it but you. Then please, come out of the valley. Repent of your vice. Renew your vow. And walk with God in victory. And do it tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we thank you for this amazing story. And Lord, we're stunned when we think about it and when we realize that Samson didn't know where you had drawn that line, and neither do we. And Lord, in our stumbling, 
we can cross the line of no return. Lord, wake us up tonight, Lord. Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to see where we might be. Help us to turn back to you tonight. Humble ourselves before you, Lord. Repent of our sin. Turn from our sin tonight. And receive your power in our lives afresh. Please work in our hearts tonight, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.